meet my friend. You will like one another. You've common ground. You feel the same in so many ways. Your horizons have colors that match. Meet my friend. I know he can be outspoken and radical, but his heart's in the right place. He is open inside, like you are. Underground cafe with wine that is seasoned by people whose eyes open into their souls and forgiving against the odds, giving despite the cost, trusting again and again and again. Meet my friend, you will like one another. You've common ground. You feel the same in so many ways. Your horizons have colors that match. Meet my friend. I know he can be outspoken and radical, but his heart's in the right place. He is open inside, like you are. I'm standing here in the gap, holding you both within. No words will ever say just how graced I feel. Tapping into the ebbs and the flows of it all. We are blessed. Meet my friend. You will like one another. You've common ground. You feel the same in so many ways. Your horizons have colors that match. Meet my friend. I know he can be outspoken and radical, but his heart's in the right place. He is open inside. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many people put in large sum. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which are worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, "Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the treasury." For all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had to live on. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Lord, thank you for gathering all of us here today in prayer. You know, the world tends to focus on being powerful, being successful, but instead. You look at the simple actions of love. You notice generous acts and humble prayers, especially when it comes from the heart. Help me 
and all of us gathered here today to learn from your heart so filled with love for us. Name Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so um, good evening, everyone. Now, now, everyone loves a good deal, right? I mean, for, for all of us who have been home uh, more often than not in these two years, uh, we should be very familiar with all these online pro promotions. Okay, so, and we know that there's the Shopee and the Lazada 8-8 sale, right? So soon there'll be a 9-9 sale. So when we start buying things, we always want to get a good deal, right? I mean, we we why buy who wants to buy a washing machine that costs 900 when you can get exactly the same model uh, for 799 okay uh, that's what happened to me so I, i'm relating this huh? so we and then we then go around telling others about how good our deal but um hearing the passage just now you know that our friend jesus is different right he doesn't place too much value on all these uh, good deals in fact, if we tell him um, how we got such a great deal, uh, he might just say, oh, okay, good for you, you know, but maybe he's not so impressed, right? So in this season of the School of the Word, as you know, um, it's been titled uh, Meet the Friend. And our friend Jesus is indeed an interesting character, right? The song that we just heard um, is sung by uh, Maeve. Uh, she's a Bourbon Day missionary. Um, and the song says, you know, um, he may seem radical, you know, but if you know him, actually you will like him, you know. So in the first season, we talk about Jesus who has a bad memory, you know, he gets our wrongdoings easily. Next, we talk about Jesus whose logic of love is not of this world. Um, he leaves his 99 sheep just to look for that one sheep. And last week, Sandra spoke about Jesus who looked at the best of each person, even it means breaking the laws. So this week, I will introduce our friend Jesus, who, wants, who is one who looks at the heart, and he doesn't really care about the external. So in the passage that I read earlier, it's from Mark 12, all right, 41 to 44, which uh, later uh, I will show on the screen. Uh, Jesus was in the temple, and the Sadducees were actually monitoring him and his teaching. So Jesus noticed that the wealthy people were putting offerings into the treasury, and many rich people are putting in large sums. Then he noticed a poor widow who put in two small copper coins. So what difference did her two coins make towards the temple budget? Probably none at all. And I could imagine this happening to our church, you know, and the warden counting the offering will probably say, why do people actually throw in such coins? You know, it takes so much effort to even count them uh, more than they are actually worth. And so compared to the other donors, um, this widow's gifts was pittance. So as you know, the, this woman actually offered all that she had. Uh, she was struggling to make ends meet yet she freely gave to the temple treasury and Jesus was deeply touched by her generosity. He commented, this poor woman has given more into the treasury than all the rest. So Jesus values the generosity of the heart. For Jesus, the rest gave from the abundance. The woman gave from her heart 
And really, it's not because it's not that the contributions of the rich people don't matter. I'm sure uh, Verbum Day or or any church organization will really appreciate this amount. But actually, this incident gives us clues of how Jesus looks at people, how he relates to us. He sees our hearts. He looks at my motives. He looks at your faithfulness. He looks at our desire to be generous. And he values our trying to live a Christian life more than all our outwardly actions and how it may be perceived by others or by society. So upon reflection, I can think of three things that Jesus sees in this widow that in turn infer the values that Jesus sees in our friendship um, or his friendship with us. First, he values our generosity when it comes from the heart. What are our true motives? What are our true intentions? The scribes whom Jesus just denounced, probably half or more of them are just doing charity to impress others on how spiritual they were. They were giving to show off, to fulfill obligations or selfish recognition. The widow, on the other hand, was quiet, unknown, and not trying to impress anyone. She was giving out of love for God. So second point, Jesus values the woman's faith. Because giving away um, what she had forced her to live and trust God to meet her needs. She gave in faith. Now, not many of us are as poor as this woman. But there is this value there that when we give, even if we have plenty for our future needs, we should give in faith, looking to God to meet our needs. Third, Jesus values the, the widow's faithfulness. She's not giving because of pressure or impulse. It was her free will. Rather, she was giving out of routine faithfulness. So when she go to the temple, she just give it as a matter of habit. And this action actually dislodges the excuse, like when I get enough money or when I'm rich, then I give. Because generosity is a virtue. If we can't figure out how to give faithfully our money, our resources, or our time uh, when we are not so well off, then we won't either when we have more. So this brings to mind St. Paul's um, famous hymn of love, right? 1 Corinthians 13, which he states that love does not seek its own interests or love does not seek its own now, for a long time, I've been wondering what this actually means, you know, and actually Pope Francis explains, you know, in Amoris Laetitia, one of the writings, uh, this is what generous love is. It is not how much you give. It is about giving because we see the world in a different way. We see it not only from our perspective, uh, um, but we see it on another person's pers perspective. So therefore, not seeking our own, but for the interests of others. And that is generosity that comes from the heart. So when I'm praying this passage, the first person that came into, that my, into my mind that displays such characteristic um, is my mom. 
uh, as some of you know, um, she's very ill now. Um, but she showed me how to have this generosity of the heart. You know, she was a nurse and from a very young age, I would remember how three of us boys would wait for her to come home after work, which is about 10 p.m. because she's sometimes in the afternoon shift. And every night we would just say the same thing when we see her at the door, you know, Mummy, have you got us anything to eat or not? So I remember that uh, she will never fail to dis disappoint us, uh, never fail to disappoint us, yes. Um, she will always buy a snack for us, you know, even though it was a hard day of, uh, of, of work serving patients. You know, it's not that we are poor, but it's just this small acts of love done faithfully all these years and things that stick to my head even till now. And every year she will insist on going on a holiday as a family. She doesn't care how much the cost and, and my father has no say because she will pay for it. So today these memories um, are the memories that we have as a family. You know, she's the one who gives, who goes to Novena Church every Saturday and brings all of us along, you know, even though uh, we, my dad may not be in the mood to go or something like that. And, and she gives to church um, even to Bourbon Day, right? She, um, I mean, many years ago when I started joining, um, coming for Bourbon Day activities, she decided that she would donate some money to the sisters. And she has been doing this faithfully all these years, you know, even though she's retired. And even though I don't know about it until um, Sister MJ tells me, oh, uh, we need to write a thank you card. Uh, what's your mom's address? Uh, then I realized that she has been doing it every year. Mm -hmm. So generous love uh, entails giving of oneself. And today, even our kids owe her a lot. You know, the fact that our kids are, are um, confident um, is also due to a large part, due to her care. You know, she, uh, while we are working, she provided a stable background. So today, my mom is very ill. Um, she struggles even to swallow, to finish a few teaspoons of food. No, and, and it always pains me to see when I see her when I visit her. She doesn't want anything, but then just being with her, she still puts in effort to make sure that we are comfortable. She tries to be hospitable, even when we are very sick. And, and therefore, um, we at this stage, we, myself and my dad, we, we take turns to also take care of her. Mm. So what kind of friend is Jesus? Um, as we can see, he's a friend who also has this generous heart. And, and how do we know this? Because these values of what the, this, the widow displayed um, is displayed by Jesus in his total self-giving on the cross. You know, and as St. Paul puts it, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, even though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor. And through his poverty, you might be rich. And the greatest love that he had done for us is to lay down his life for us. Mm. So you see, from this incident at the temple, we see that our friend Jesus sees our real intentions. And even in prayer, he values that we have an honest friendship with him. Even in the next um, 20 minutes, uh, when we pray, 
he considers the disposition of our heart more important than any outward expressions of faith. And he shows this by telling his disciples the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, which I'm sure many of you will know. So he says that Jesus told this parable to those who trusted themselves that they are righteous. And this story has two characters. So the Pharisee and the tax collector who went up to the temple to pray. The first character is the Pharisee. Now the Pharisee, um, if we read the Bible, we will have a, immediately have a very negative impression of Pharisees. But actually, Pharisees seen through the eyes of a first century Jewish culture is a very extremely devout, highly disciplined person um, and very well respected. A Pharisee is obedient to the law, even going above and beyond what the law is required. The law required fasting one day of the year, but this Pharisee fasted twice a week. The, the law required giving uh, money, but he gave 10% of everything he earned. So the Pharisee is a really good person. Now the tax collector, on the other hand, was a really bad person. Tax collectors are considered traitors and cheats. Uh, they collect taxes for the Romans and uh, padding their own pockets whenever they want to charge over and above the required tax. So the Jews considered the practice to be highly unethical and contrary to God's commands. So it's really like a teacher with two students in her class. A good, well-behaved A student versus a D student who doesn't complete his homework. So the Pharisee, um, like the A student, feels confident before the teacher and looks himself uh, about himself, about his own conscientiousness. And so this Pharisee stands where he can clearly be seen because he thinks that he's a good example and he lifts his hands and eyes to heaven. And he begins to recite a prayer of thanksgiving and his prayer sounds confident. And a lot like Psalm 18, where King David rejoices when he was delivered from Saul. So Psalm 18, he probably can memorize it. And he said, and Psalm 18 goes like this. The Lord dealt, me, dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanliness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanliness of my hands in his sight. Now, the tax collector also prays the Psalm of David, but he chooses Psalm 51. It's a prayer of repentance. Have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, bought up my transgression. Wash me through my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Now, in the story, this tax collector didn't say the whole thing, but perhaps his sins in such a burden to him that he only can speak the first phrase of the psalm, have mercy on me, O Lord. So the question that bugs us is, if both are praying the psalms, why does Jesus favor one over the other? Now, fortunately or unfortunately, um, God is not like a classroom teacher looking for a correct answer or correct behavior. He's more like a parent knowing instinctively the heart of each child. The Pharisee has done everything right. 
but self-righteousness or pride creates a wall that prevents him from knowing the heart of God. And therefore, Jesus ended the saying by saying this, all who exalt himself will be humbled and all who humble himself will be exalted. Now, at the first glance, it may seem like a very straightforward teaching. Obviously, I'm not like a Pharisee. It doesn't apply to me. Well, if it does, then at the end of the guidelines, during the prayer, all of us will be rushing to give thanksgiving, right? But if we take it a bit deeper, it's a, bit more, it's a lot more subtle than that. It's not what we say or we, what we don't say. If we examine our conscience, we will find that our pride is seated in us and a source of sin. For example, if I ask myself, what am I good at? You know, I might think, oh, okay, um, um, I look at what are my skills, you know, uh, what do I take pride in? Perhaps my talents, my skills, my personality. I might say, no, I have a good memory. And, and then when my, my spouse come, um, and then and I, I keep on need to reminding all the dates uh, of the, the, um, the family, then I get irritated and I might maybe think to myself, hey, how come you can't remember everything, you know? Um, or maybe, maybe I'm a bit more impulsive and then um, sometimes I, I, I scold my children, you know? And then my spouse may think, hey, how come so easily get upset? No, you, you, you pray, what? how come so easily get upset? So this self-righteousness is very subtle, right? Especially for Christians. So much so that um, St. Paul actually put down in writing, you know, in the same uh, 1 Corinthians 13, in the hymn of love, it says, love is not boastful. So obviously love is not boastful, but but how does this um, apply, you know? And Pope Francis explains in Amoris Laetitia, again, is that people think that because they are more spiritual or wise, they think that they are more important than who they really are. Yet what really makes us important is a love that understands, shows concern and embraces the weak. And at times the opposite occurs the supposedly mature believers within the family become unbearably arrogant. Love, on the other hand, is marked by humility. If we are to understand, forgive, and to serve others from the heart, our pride has to be healed and our humility must increase. So what is then the source of the Pharisee's pride? It is rooted in his identity. He sees his identity as being holy. And that's him, and that defines who it is. Therefore, the Pharisee compares himself with others to justify his own righteousness to stand before God. How about us? What is our identity? Do we find our identity from the things we have, from the things we do, from the degrees we own, from the amount of people who know us? And when we adopt this false sense of identity, we then protect it with our pride. And that's why when we pray, sometimes we find it difficult to enter into prayer because our minds are full of our thoughts and our preoccupations of our other identities, our jobs, our roles we play in society, our self-perceived importance. And when we place these identities um, on what that others have accorded to us, 
uh, what we want others to think about us, we will completely miss the point. Because our real identity is a child of God, loved and uniquely special, the tax collector in his broken state acknowledges that he's nobody, but totally reliant on the mercy of God. And when we claim that identity, that we are beloved sons and daughters of God, and try to live our lives this way, we'll find that we can relate more to God. We find the words to pray, and we can allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Now, the next thing is also about the authenticity in prayer. It's about coming to Jesus without masks. Coming to Jesus, not only in good times and in bad times, or in bad times. So what about myself? You know, when I pray this passage, I see myself both um, the tax collector as well as the Pharisee. There are two of me. On one hand, on some days, there is this Pharisee who insists that everything is perfect. I'm doing good. On some days, I might sound like the tax collector. I'm completely unworthy. I'm just a hypocrite. I'm just one of those who give the spare change in the temple. I'm not really a missionary who gives her life. You know, I, I desire both worldly and spiritual treasure. But here lies the quality that Jesus admires in the tax collector, who still goes into the temple, who still chooses to show up, despite knowing his sinfulness and inadequacy to still trust that God doesn't despise him, that God can have mercy on him. And so he goes to God as he is. And that's what we are invited to do every time we meet our friend. And it's not about being self-righteousness, being boastful, or being meek or fearful. It's coming to him with authenticity. And for me, it may sound like this, you know, Lord, you know I'm trying to do your will. I try to pray. But to be honest, I'm feeling disappointed today. I feel disappointed that things are not doing well. After putting in so much effort, I'm taken for granted. Or I feel that my hard work is not recognized. And then I can hear almost, I can almost hear Jesus saying, you know, I know that you are disappointed. Being disappointed means that you actually care deeply about something. And that's great and I'm God, and I'm close to the brokenhearted, and you are my beloved child. Look at all the blessings that you have. You know that I'm with you. What struck me about this passage is the verse, this man went home justified rather than the other. So I asked Jesus, so what do you mean by being justified? I think that it means that God for God, this man has done what pleases him. For the man, he feel, he feel at peace. The tax collector went home having related to God. And that's what it means to go home feeling justified before God. On the other hand, we go back unjustified when there's a disconnect between our prayer and life. When our prayer doesn't connect to the reality of our lives. You know, these days my mom can no longer, is no longer cognitive alert, cognitively alert. So when I see her, I will hold her hand and say, Mom, let's pray. And she will always be ready to say a prayer. So we will say one our Father and one here Mary together. 
And then she will continue to pray for the family and ask for God for forgiveness. And I think it helps me to know that God hears and notices this simple heartedness. So as we spend the next 20 minutes or so reading the passages for today, let us put aside our distractions and let our friend reveal more of himself. On reflecting on the passages, on the two passages, what feelings have they stirred in you? What aspects of your prayer or your heart does it reflect that of Jesus? And what aspects do you find challenging? So whatever thoughts and feelings you have, bring them to Jesus, speaking to him and listening to him in honesty, humility, and openness. So I will break now for, um, for, for us to go in silent prayer and I'll flesh out the passages and we come back at around 8.50, right? 